Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Growth Show. I have David Barkley and Tom Pickering with me, and today we're discussing goal setting and target setting. Um, so, David, how does goal setting impact teams? Um, in a massive way, so it's one of those slightly counterintuitive things. You don't think it would be part of emotional intelligence, but goal orientation is actually quite a big part of uh, emotions and primarily because winning helps build confidence um, and that helps us feel better about ourselves and that breeds more you know um, trust and everything in the team around us so I think a lot of the time with teams having really clear defined goals that people can actually achieve and uh, they can see the path to achieving is really important in terms of um, building that team um, and building confidence within within things. I know Tom's probably going to talk about how we do that and how we set bigger and bigger targets and how that can work. But for, to start off with, it's about getting people winning. And often in you know in teams we have these big sort of goals of you know we need to increase revenue by seventeen percent this year or whatever it is. And that seems quite big and scary for for most people. So how do we boil those little things, boil all those big things down? into little steps that people can win at. So how do we get people into the habit of winning that's then going to breed confidence throughout the team? That's perfect. And Tom, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm not, I'd like to start off with um, some uh, goals that were achieved, Nick, and sort of work back from that. Um, because most, most of which, as David just said, were um, in theory impossible or um, and it's not, it's an interesting question to think actually what's the limitation on what we can achieve. Um, and um, so the first, the first one was uh, an organization which I led in 2002. Um, and we can produce any one of four and a half thousand SKUs in, th in 30 minutes. Um, so the lead time was just ridiculous and multi award winning business. And it was just the level of performance was extraordinary. Um, but actually, what was interesting about that, um, that situation, was prior to achieving that, everybody thought they were best in class, which is completely disastrous because it almost stopped the improvement process. Um, and furthermore, in that business, we actually went on to take out 25% of their material cost um, in nine months. Um, and that was partly because I had a very broad team and I, I had the resources to do that. But that really flew in the face of the procurement director and the whole procurement structure in this whole organisation because they were tasked to reduce procurement spend year on year five five percent year on year and i you know one because i had the whole team including the engineering the design and manufacturing customer support everything pretty reporting to me we um we achieved that um to, we achieved 25 percent in nine months so the the procurement guy wasn't very pleased because that blew his budget for five years so there wasn't much fat on on the bone but you know it was there to be had um and i think some of the interesting things about this is that there are norms in industries. So, for example, um, um, in retail, um, you know, there are norms for food retail uh, margins, which are about 35%, and there's a, a norm for normal retail, about 48%. Um, and print is always regarded as being 10%. And I, I've, I've got print margins up to 60% by actually defining the fact they weren't print businesses, they were doing other things. Uh, which warrants, so they were just missing things off their invoice. So um, I think the other thing with this, is that the reality as well is um, 
at micro level, right? And I'll give you an example of the sorts of problems which actually occurred this morning with a team member of mine who's super bright. But this is the sort of thing that happened. So I sent him a log on to a piece, something online, um, which he couldn't resolve and then immediately went into a bit of a tears and sort of uh, couldn't do it. And then said, well, everybody else must have this problem as well and sort of gave up. And then, interesting enough, what I did was I, uh, which is wrong, it's unusual for me actually, I sent him a, a direct link to my OneDrive and actually thought, no, that's, that's no good. That's a workaround. And actually, we have to be careful we do things in the right way. But actually, what was interesting about that, what stopped him from actually taking action was his own words around everybody else must have that issue, sort of justifying the existing situation. So if we think about the things that happen on a micro basis every day, um, it's very important we sort of see those things through and don't fudge them. Because if you fudge things, Nick, um, you you create what I describe as um, being called rework. And rework causes problems and trips you up as an organisation. So I think there's some of the things I'd add, I'd, contribute in terms of um, setting targets and actually achieving targets. Perfect. And, and David, is there danger for setting too high uh, targets? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not least because people then think they can't. If they, people can't think they can, they can do it, most of the time we're, we're battling people's belief systems about what they can and can't do. That's what the real battle comes down to. Um, you know, what was it? What's the great one about Roger Bannister running the four minute mile? Nobody had ever done it. And then in the weeks afterwards, loads of people then did it. <laughs> because suddenly it was like, oh, we can do it. Oh, oh, oh just need to run at this pace. Um, and so a lot of the, the limits that we put on, we just put on ourselves. So therefore, as a leader, the first thing you should be doing in goal setting is listening to your team. It's not up to you to tell them what they're going to do. Listen to what they, how they're going to approach it. What are the, what are the um, internal blockers around doing it? What are the things they're afraid about? What are the things they're excited about? But understand their world so that you can actually help them get there. And that's something that often leaders don't do. And the temptation is, is to jump in and start doing it for them. That's what a lot of people do. Because if you think it's fine to do it, and it's easy to do it, and you know how to do it, then if it goes off you know, off target or you find yourself slipping behind, people tend to jump in and try and do it themselves, which again goes back to Tom's rework point that then doesn't actually help the person because they still don't know how to do it. They then feel worse about it because they couldn't do it. They didn't do it. You had to jump in and save it. And it, and it, um, it becomes a, you know, complete nightmare situation to then unravel. Um, so last week we had some little puppies um, and you're watching these little guys in a little box, uh, guys and girls trying to feed. And you can see the big bruising ones sort of push their way to the front and they start feeding. And the little ones you see at the back and all, all that jumps in, in me is like, oh, how do I get that little one to the front? Because they need the food more than the bigger ones. The problem is if I keep putting the little ones to the front, they're never going to learn how to push their way to the front to get what they need. Because I'm not always going to be there. So what is it? They get a good, they'll just wait until someone helps them. Um, and the other fascinating thing is I spent quite a few hours watching them, as you can imagine, um, is that when they're sort of, so our dog would lie in the middle of this box and they'll try and sort of crawl around or underneath or they'll try and go under her neck to go around and get a feed. And she won't lift a leg and she won't lift her head to make it easier for them. And you sit there and go, you lazy dog, you, what on earth are you doing? But the more I thought about it, I thought, actually, she's making it a bit harder for them so that they learn to battle through it. 
it's not impossible that they do it. But then if she gets stuck on them or if they get caught on the knee, they then build the strength and resilience and the grit is something we've already talked about to then get out of it. But if you keep doing stuff for people, they never learn those things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a great point. I think when it's come to goal setting, there's always been two points that have been very close to my heart. One is commitment and the other one is clarity. Um, there are too many leaders out there who have a very big goal which is great from like a mission vision sort of statement but actually to achieve that goal is a pyramid of layers of small wins that should be sort of celebrated and the biggest one especially if you're taking on new um, sort of juniors into your business is them understanding why this is a goal and why what it why it benefits them you know there's um uh, kpis sort of key performance indicators are sort of a dreaded word in a lot of a lot of businesses and that's because they are presented as just factual targets to be hit rather than a linked application to how this will help you improve your career in the future. Mm. And the, the, the clarity point as well. But um, I think, you know, having really clearly defined steps and goals that build with time to achieve this maybe unassailable uh, target is great. But actually understanding are they bought into this to start with? Because if you've lost them at that point, then it's sort of game over, you know, and you have yeah. to reevaluate. And, then, and a lot of people don't spend enough time working out, is this person short-term driven? Is this person long-term driven? Are they uh, driven by passion? There's stats around the fact that good goal setting um, actually is more attractive to people than, than pay. Um, so they've got, they've got a pay well-aligned goal setting will get them, help them drive on or satisfy more in their job. And I don't know, David, if you're a believer in flow. I, I am. Um, I absolutely believe that you can find sweet spots between people's giving guidance where they can hit a, uh, a state of flow in their working day where they will enjoy their job a hundred times more. Um, and it will fly through because it's just a natural thing. But you've got to find those gears and slowly incrementally grab them up. Um, is, is flow something you believe in, by the way? Is that something that's... Yeah, big time. Uh, right, okay. um, but, but also I think... It, it, it's something that I've noticed with you, Nick, you're intrinsically quite good at it, which means that people who tend to be quite good at things don't, <laughs> they take, often take it for granted and not all leaders are like that. And I think it goes back to the, the deep listening of people. Often leaders know, well, that's my way of how I would do it. So this is how you do it. That doesn't often help people because not everyone's the same, thank goodness. Mm. Um, but what I think you're interested in there is, you know, is you spend a lot of time understanding your team members and who's around and what makes them tick and therefore help using that to help them get to those goals and using that to help them connect into flow and working in there because there's no point in you giving your strategy for how you get into flow is that that's not going to work for most people um, and so you've got to really that's where it comes down to deep listening to people and really understanding them yeah and i think i think there's managers who see this one size fits i mean a a KPI or goal can be one size fits, fits all as a team, mm. but the way it's executed is mm. not. And I think that's what gets lost on, um, on, on quite a few people. Uh, Tom, yeah. would you agree with that? Um, what, I was, what I was suggesting, Nick, was actually there's very little um, in us actually achieving our targets. I think organisations make it very difficult for us to achieve them. Right. Um, um, so I wasn't particularly suggesting to uh, set stupid targets. I think um that's i was just talking about the art of the possible um and 
the sorts of things that actually stop people from achieving the targets are actually quite resolvable without tiring people out. And in fact, you know, this is the concept of the jazz band, right? Mm. Where you've got intimate relationships, you, 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 the dialogue is keeping you on target. You're wasting very little time. I noticed that most leaders' communication wastes about 70% of their employees' time. And they don't need to do that if they're aware of that. So, um, and actually, as a consequence of taking actions that um, you know staff actually want to take in their own way, they become a whole lot more productive. So, um, and actually, when you look at this stuff, actually, there isn't very much in us not achieving stuff. I think um, organisationally as well, it's important if you ask somebody to do something, they've got the tools to do the job. Um, but also, you know, if you consider a, a business a bit like yours, Nick, where you've got recruitment staff and you've got all kinds of different people, some of who are high achievers, uh, you don't want a team of high achievers, that, you know, because you can, you can create an awful dynamic of comp- competition. And I think that, you know, str- I think in some ways you can find someone delivering maybe revenue of, to, you know, just about covering their costs, but doing a great job in terms of customer relationships versus someone who's aggressively trying to achieve their target in, in a professional service environment and screwing up relationships, frankly. So I think you need both. And I think you need that balance. So um, I think, um, um, and I think the other thing is actually when you look at the limitations of people, I mean, David and I talked about this before, we have got a, a, a super a supercomputer on the top of our heads, right, that we don't use. Um, and... Um, you know, and some of the mantras around tech, you know, and the way that works is if it, that's going to improve us, actually, my experience actually undermines our ability to think things through and uh, and do some of this stuff. So I think um, the other part of this, I think as well, Nick, is also that um, particularly at the moment that leaders need to justify their existence because um, employees are very much working more under their own steam. Um, and so that engagement really has to be helpful and useful. Um, you know, so whatever reviews people are invited to to come along, and I think that's an escalating issue. So every time you get together, you've got to learn and you've got to take new action to make that worthwhile. Um, and I think um, there's an element of that actually, the integrity in this as well. So at no stage am I suggesting um, that um, people should be put, you know, um, you know, doing things that they're uncomfortable with. But there's a there are a few things actually that people don't do. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of things I've noticed, which are unusual. People don't get into groups to sort problems out. You have to herd people into groups to sort problems out. Hmm. And I t- the reason for that is because and you have to create the time and space as a leader to do that. And the reason for that is because people's worst fear is actually breaking existing relationships and organization. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a, there's a level of discomfort, which is actually unspoken, but quite acute. So, and that needs facilitating. And as, as David said earlier, and you, you just talked about, the underlying aspect of this is the balanced scorecard and the metrics and, and celebrating success. And, you know, I've got a simple reporting format, which is progress, um, which is positive. You've then got the issues. This is what people are struggling with. So that, that's how the team can help each other. Uh, what are the decisions that have been made to reinforce accountability? Um, what are the items for decision which you know might might require you know some 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 bigger input? Maybe you need a JCB or something to knock a wall down or something. Um, and um, you know what what are the budgetary issues that might be stopping you? So there's that there's that whole process in there. But hundred percent, you know, even in the in difficult situations, I think if you get people, 
you know, firing all cylinders in the jazz band, working under their own steam in their own way, with a leader that engages with them in a way that reinforces intimate relationships. And intimacy is an odd word in businesses, but I think um, intimacy is absolutely vital because, you know, in a business like yours, again, you know, relationships with customers are absolutely what drives profit. If you don't have a relationship with a customer, you, you try to put your pricing up. <laughs> it's a fairly short discussion. So I think um, that's becoming more and more important in this, you know, that whole intimacy of the relationship and that jazz band performing, picking up information, adjusting live, you know, removing all the obstacles and just getting on with it. And, and I, but I think it does come down to some of the nitty gritty, the realities of there are some disciplines you expect in terms of not doing workarounds. And I put a simple metric in to say, look, if you do get stuck, don't sit and, don't sit and um, you know, um, sweat. For goodness sake, put your hand up. And But one, one thing, just make sure you put your hand up in time to fix the problem rather than get to the review and say, I'm sorry, you haven't done it. That's about the only thing you can do that's... Um, uh, nothing's unforgivable it's it's that, that that's a that's a that's that's a behavior that i i, I have limited patience for let's say yeah and you've got an exceptional track record of creating those environments where you can get real feedback right yeah. i think there's um the danger of just telling people what to do and that's it follow a process and that's it is damaging to a business and especially as you said during this lockdown period where people have had more time to do have independent thoughts you know, and actually sort of think and challenge processes. And nothing looks worse to uh, any team when you challenge a manager on a process and they can't describe why that process is a central part of that business or defend it. Yeah. Um, it's just because we've always done it and that's going to lose face pretty quickly uh, with people. So um, I, I also think that, you know, acknowledging the degree of challenge and making sure that's aligned to the right people in the business mm. and complexity. I think your point especially is every business has different roles of complexity. Um, I love the idea of having that culture of getting people to groups to solve problems rather than this um, sort of fear of not being able to do it on your own. I think that group think right now is great and creates more interesting dynamics. Um, but I also definitely think managers should be looking out for the levels of complexity and offering avenues at the start to get into that sort of group think and working with people rather than uh, making it an option to go to at the start rather than just watching people potentially um, go off to a corner and, and fail quietly and lose time on it. Yeah. Um, uh, David, any other points you've got around this topic? Yeah. It's, it's quite an interesting one. I was just, as you were talking, um, I was thinking about, I had a client earlier this week who um, has been sailing along nice and profitably, working crazy hours through COVID. Um, uh, and just in the last week or two, one of his big clients, who I think provides 40-something percent of his revenue, said, thank you so much for the work you've done. You know, I think it's time we got someone fresh in you know, to consult in this area, which was a really good natural point to breaking that relationship, but perhaps a bit earlier, a few months earlier than he thought. And that created a sort of instant sort of panic which I'm sure lots of people are having at the moment. Now, one of the things that panic does, and particularly at this time with goal setting, is people go very one-dimensional. They go back to the one way that they've had success before. They, 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 you just go back to the neuro pathways and go, oh, I'll do this and this will work. Uh, and one of the things we did in that, um, in the session we did earlier this week, was look at just different ways for him to get that revenue. Who are the different 
people you talk to. We, we just had like a little spider diagram on his desk that he's going to have there for the next 10 days or so. And he's just going to write different ways to get that, that revenue. What that does is that opens up <laughs> new ways of thinking to hit targets and actually new ways of, of, of doing things. Um, and so often, sometimes it's just really good to sit with a problem and not just go the first way. Just go, let's say that one way will not work. You have to think of a different way. And that's going to start to spark um, some real creative thinking when under stress. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's great. And that sort of working backwards mentality of here is a goal, how are we going to get there? And actually having the teams define the process to do it so they know the steps on that way is great. And also to come on to Tom's point of, um, if you take the sales world, for example, everyone's the same hours in the day and there are people doing 100 grand a year and there are people doing five, five six, seven million a year. And um, just by mentioning the difference in times, it gets people thinking to go and at least investigate how are they working differently to me. You know, is, it, mm. is it process mm. or is it actually some unattainable skill or relationship that you know, I, I might not be able to work on to adjust, uh, adjust my way? And Tom, any, any sort of closing points for you around, uh, around target setting or goal setting? Well, I think I'd rarely tell anybody to do anything, Nick. Uh, I never do. And, well, I, I probably used to do it in my career, actually. I definitely did. But I think very much my approach is to find out um, what fits best. And, you know, if somebody is delivering 100 grand a year versus half a million pounds a year, what is the appropriate commercial model that, sits around that which makes that worthwhile to leverage the best of that individual mm. because i think when it comes to revenue you know even when it seems like it's binary two million sales but actually at what gross margin you know actually what who's the client um and you you rightly said that some people are better at starting new relationships and start forming business up to a certain point and some people afterwards so i think it's and, and actually i i think that there's nothing worse than the whole um team of Tom's or Nick's or David's uh, it's absolutely awful we're expecting that so I think it's about really taking active interest in individuals um, giving them things that really fire them up letting them do the do it in their own way um, and finding a way of engaging with them which is value-adding which is encourages new action um, and so but it's all about relationships, and I, and I don't mean necessarily being nice to each other, just about being <laughs> acknowledging people for who they are primarily. Mm. Mm. No, I think that's great, and I love that that point around utilizing skill sets. You know, I think a lot of people are hired into jobs for forty percent of their overall skill set, and I think now is a time to look how you're utilizing the team, find people to put their hands up who can actually add more value across your business. Yeah. rather than just the 40% you want to focus on. And there, there are certain people in your business where it is just that 40% and they just don't need to deviate from that. And that is your alphas who play in that space, and that's great. Um, but everyone else who sort of falls outside of that, the level of value people can add who are not given the chance to, um, who could even you know, drive your, help drive your social media presence sort of better because they've got a passion for it, but they've never been asked. You know, drive the... Uh, the charitable side of the business there, yeah. the, you know, reorganize how you business develop a good business. I think now is, you know, I mean, time's running out, like now is the time to get people in the mindset of just utilizing people to the max and actually defining how they're paid and valuing the business more than just the number they've got to hit or a, a program they've got to develop. There's, 
many more tangibles there. Um, right, guys, I love this subject. And we're going to have a continue offline about it. And we might do a mini summarized um, video on this just to bullet point a few of the things because there's, there's so many different angles we can sort of take this. Uh, but again, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, thanks to everyone at home. Uh, subscribers, over, over a thousand subscribers now. Um, so thanks for bearing with us. We're slowly getting back into better Wi-Fi conditions and proper equipment. Um, so that's coming in the near future, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, but th thanks for the support and we will catch up with you very soon. Keep firing in the, the tricky topics you want us to discuss and pull apart and we'll do our very best to get through that. Uh, all the best and see you soon. Bye-bye.